With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everybody. Big Grips Frame is the original big and squishy case for iPad. It's lightweight, durable, and non-toxic. Loved and trusted by schools and families across the country and around the world. Grab Big Grips today at BigGrips.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Dr. Gil Tippy, and this is Respecting Autism. This is our premiere show, and tonight we're really excited. We have some absolutely wonderful guests. We have Christopher and Jacqueline Gauthier, and I think you're really going to enjoy them. But uh, since this is our inaugural show, I want to do a little bit of um, background on why we decided to call the show Respecting Autism and what it is we intend to do here, what we're hoping to accomplish here on Blog Talk Radio on the Coffee Clatch, and... um, I want to give you an idea of where I'm coming from in terms of philosophy and what it is that we do uh, in our interventions in the autism world. So um, I wrote a book with Dr. Stanley I. Greenspan. Dr. Greenspan is the creator of the DIR model, and we called it Respecting Autism. Uh, The subtitle of it is the Rebecca School Casebook for Parents and Professionals, and it uh, it was a really it was a work a labor of love with Dr. Greenspan and Dr. Greenspan passed away right at the end of the writing of the book. He never actually got to see it published. So we called it respecting autism because we really believe that that's what the DIR model and behavioral interventions that focus on development and that uh, focus on respect is all about. So um, I just want to tell you briefly what. I think our general idea is here. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about interventions that actually tell parents that they are competent, Um, interventions that tell parents that they are the very best people to be working with their kids. We want to make people understand that being with children is... Um, what is the most beneficial thing? Uh, We want people to understand that we can't do things um, without their help and their support, that we aren't just interventionists who fly in and show up at houses and and, uh, take over the treatment of kids. And we want people to understand that um, they are powerful, and competent. That includes the people that we intend to support with our intervention. It's important for us uh, that we um, that we tell people that you can do it, that you're competent, and that you're the experts in your own children. So, if you believe uh, in a developmental perspective 
then you are listening to the right show. And if you think that relationship is primary, then you're listening to the right show. And if you support the notion that people have differences in their sensory um, systems, which affect how they understand the world and which affect how they are able to move through the world and put together a motor plan, then you're in. If you want to punish people, then this is probably not going to be the radio show that you're going to want to listen to. If you uh, want to give people a reward in order to get them to do something that you've dreamed up that they should be doing, and you want to use that reward to get them to do that thing, and the reward isn't the human relationship that you're holding out for them, then you are probably listening to the wrong uh, radio show. If you want to withhold things from people that they love, then you're probably listening to the wrong radio show. But if you want to help people, support them, to reach their highest aspirations, uh, then I think probably you have come to the absolute right place. So over the next, uh, I hope, many weeks with you, um, I want to talk about how it is that we can use relationship and the simple principles of child development and the notion that we can help you to integrate your sensory systems, how we can use those things to help support communities cross-country of uh, older persons, how we can help businesses to support people who identify themselves on the autism spectrum um, in work situations, how we can help the society in general to support the beautiful neurodiversity that um, this group of people who we're talking about uh, represent. And uh, we want to welcome people uh, into our society fully so that we are not excluding the wonderful uh, depth and beauty that they're bringing to us all. So that's what this show is going to be about. And to that end, um, I've been lucky enough for the last few years to be able to travel around a little bit and travel around the country and meet lots and lots of cool people uh, who I want to invite as guests onto the show and have them... um, and have them explain to you how they're doing this all across the country and in different places. And uh, I have brought in, fortunately for me, Christopher Gauthier and uh, Jacqueline Gauthier, who are on the line, I think, right now. Chris and Jackie, are you there? Yep, we're here. How are you doing, Hi, Jackie. Jill? How are you? Hi, Chris. How hey. are you? Uh, I want to give you guys a little bit of an introduction. Uh, First, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Jackie. Jackie um, is a fierce advocate. Is that fair for me to say? Um, (laughs) She, yeah. Uh, Those of you who have ever met her know that. Uh, She's a fierce advocate for uh, persons on the spectrum and for appropriate education and for appropriate 
developmental work with people. And uh, I didn't know till I was reading your biography uh, today, Jackie, that you really have a long history of advocacy and and working f- for people and with people who've suffered some really tough circumstances. So it's really impressive. I uh, I feel like <laughs> in some ways I feel in some ways I'm not worthy in your presence here. But, oh please! Um, <laughs> no, 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 it's very true. Uh, that's why you're here today. And uh, and now let me just talk a little bit about Chris. Chris um, Chris is a an artist par excellence. I I actually I got a picture from Chris today that he took of me in New York, and I told him that this was the first time I'd ever actually looked at a picture of myself where I felt as if uh, the inner me was actually present on the surface and. Um, I know that that's what you're going for all the time with pe- people, Christopher, and I know that uh, you're facing autism project and your evidence and artifacts uh, uh, projects. I know that's what you're going for, but it was absolutely stunning for me to see that displayed in myself, and I realized, oh, my gosh, you really there is something really special about the way that, you're, um, the way that your art expresses itself. So at some point during this discussion, I want to get into how is it that you are able to do that and how, how is it that um, some, of the, some of the things that you have working for you and sometimes maybe working against you play into that. Um, Chris is, uh, a, has displayed around the world. If you go to the website, if you go to the Blog Talk website, you're going to see a list of his accomplishments. There's really a beautiful layout showing him actually putting a museum collection up. Um, and if you go to Chris's uh, website, you're going to be able to see um, all of the photographs in all of his galleries. And, and that includes some of his real environmental advocacy. So I guess I'm going to ask both of you, and either of you can take this to start this whole thing off. How on earth did the two of you a find each other and b become such tremendously effective and fierce ad- fierce advocates uh, in this community? Jackie, you want to tell the beginning there? <laughs> no, I want you to tell the story of how we met, and then I'll talk about how we became advocates. How about that? Okay. So, my senior year of high school, actually our senior year of high school. Um, I was the assistant, the TA for the photo class in, high, in, in the high school. So I, I went there early, set my stuff in the back corner, and you know didn't like being in any place but the back corner. So I went over to talk to the teacher about the course direction and what we were going to ha- do and all this stuff. And I came back out, and <clears throat> at my seat, all of my stuff had been moved, and there sitting in my seat, feet up on the table, is this little punker chick. <laughs> I walked up to her and I said, you're in my seat. And she goes, no, I'm not. Yes, you're in my seat. No, I'm not. This is not your seat. <laughs> this was the beginning of the great love affair. It sounds like a match made in heaven. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and, and we we come from very different worlds. You know, I, I come from a very pro-military family. Um, Jackie was raised Mennonite, very pacifist. We would constantly butt heads, you know, in that in that perspective. Um, but I, she really opened up my eyes to the possibilities of what social justice really is about. 
um, being raised Catholic, I was aware to a certain level about some of that stuff, but not to the degree that, that the Mennonite exposure really, for me at least, brought to my worldview something that I feel pretty deeply about. So, Chris, you said uh, something that I think is a clue, and that is that you had to sit in the back of the class. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. um, how you want to identify yourself, but um, it might be helpful. It might be helpful for listeners to to understand your your predilection for sitting in the back. Well, I'm an adult with Asperger's and didn't figure it out until recently. Um, I was always the I never felt comfortable being in the middle of the room or certainly not in the front of the room. Um, I I joke with my students that all the photographers hide out in the back of the room, but I think it's because we like hiding behind something else and just observing. Uh, When we were together in New York uh, and you had a camera in your hands, uh, Chris was photographing some of the students at the Rebecca School where I'm the clinical director. And... um, he was photographing them, and he was explaining to some of the parents that were in the room, parents and children at the school were in the room, and he was explaining to some of the parents just how uh, powerful and important a camera in his hands uh, was. Chris, you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah. You know, the camera for me really is this is a safe zone between the world and me. I mean, I'm, <clears throat> I've never really been known to be a portrait photographer, and suddenly I've sort of fallen into this backwards. Um, and so for me to interact with, with other people, there's a, that's, that's a safety filter in a lot of ways. And I, I recall a young man that we were photographing was curious, and so you know I handed him my camera. And I've noticed that often, at least with my students who do go into photography, that they have this very similar interaction with the world where as soon as the camera goes up, they can talk, they can interact, they can be harmonizing with everybody else. But you take that thing away and suddenly all the social pressure, all the social anxiety pops up. Like the camera gives us license to be interactive and social. Yeah, there was this really beautiful moment uh, where you picked up, you uh, handed the camera to this to this student of ours and you know he was really feeling kind of stiff and didn't really know what to do and actually has very little language is a very big guy he's a big six foot four guy and he handed the camera to him and he immediately knew what to do with it and put it up to his eye and things really loosened up from there yep absolutely well you know part of it was as soon as he and I walked in the room because I followed him in the room with you guys the first thing I saw him do was to walk over to a computer that was on the floor and to push the button. And I thought, that's curious. That's really interesting. Like, maybe there's something to this, because I know, at least for myself, that interaction with the shutter release, um, it's a very positive experience. So, you know, what's the risk? I've got this really sweet young man in front of me. Let him look at the world. It's really interesting, you know, you, you mentioned that um, you saw him push a button and that sort of tipped you off. And for me, that that lets me know, at least partially, why you are so attracted to this relationship-based way of working with kids with this developmental-based way. Because part of what I see in the work all the time is that the work 
is not so complicated in terms of explaining it to people, but what it's complicated in is just being present. And so, you know, you're describing your experience of just being present with this kid and seeing, oh, a button's pushed. Maybe this is a way that this child would like to interact and have a piece of technology in between me and him. It's, it's kind of cool that you were just able to be in the room and be like that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's also part of my teaching style, too, is the same thing. I, students will say things or hint at things, and, and you just watch patterns. You know, you're looking for, when you teach art, you're looking for the depth and the breadth of the soul. And you want to you bring out the best of who they are and encourage them. I love that. The depth and the breadth of the soul is really... Uh... It, that's that's what we're that's what we're pulling for all the time, right? Is uh, one of the things Stanley Greenspan said was, uh, we want these kids to be poets of their inner lives, and not mm-hmm. just be able to point at things on the outside. And it sounds like you're aiming at the same things. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Jackie, so how did you end up? Uh, I mean, you've been you've always been politically active, and you certainly you certainly have not. Uh, you doesn't sound to me like you've ever backed down from too much as as described by Chris's uh trying to get you out of his seat in the back of uh the <laughs> class. But um so how did you end up being so so fiercely fiercely advocating for uh in the autism community? Well, um I, you know, you mentioned sort of the history of my biography and and one of the things that I was involved with earlier in, in my young life um, was advocating for the Violence Against Women Act. Um, I, was, I was a sexual assault crisis intervention uh, advocate going to hospitals and police departments doing trainings with state's attorney's offices and those kinds of things. And that's, that's really where I picked up some of my skills. I had... Um, some mentors there that that provided some you know fabulous modeling. So um, in terms of autism, um, when our children were born, Madeline first, and then um, 14 months later, Caleb, um, we we could see in Maddie from the very beginning that um, there was something going on with this child. She just she was just very difficult to regulate um, and couldn't settle. Just we, just as an infant, she just couldn't settle, and she had many, many issues um, that because of my, probably because of my training in social work and the time that I had spent um, with um, young children, that I knew that that was not typical. That, that, and I felt fairly confident in my own parenting skills, so I was trying to figure this out. I'm like, you know, I've always been able to settle a baby. What's up with this? <laughs> so um, as it turns out, um, after discovering um, information about sensory integration and, and processing di- differences and issues, um, you know, after a period of time, we realized that what we were working with here was kids on the autism spectrum. And unfortunately, a lot of our journey, um, as, as with so many parents, um, was was very independent. I mean, we had to sort of figure things out for ourselves and do the research. And um, and until we moved to Utah, we really didn't have any support services at all. 
and then we were able to get some early intervention, and that's where we were exposed for the first time to Stanley Greenspan, and um, and that just changed everything. It was like a complete game changer for us because we were handed um, tools and and um, I don't even know really the model. We were handed the model that helped us bring about significant change with our kids and. And that was amazing. And so having that uh, just made all the difference in the world. And, of course, all along the way we had to advocate for ourselves. So once you get to the place where um, things are a little bit more steady and you kind of have a a sense of, you know, we we can handle this, we've got this, um, then, of course, reaching out to others is the next step because it just – you just feel like you have to. Like, why does the road have to be so hard? It was so hard for us. Maybe we can make it easier for somebody else by, by telling our story and by talking about it and, and telling people what we've learned. So that's sort of how we fell into advocacy. Yeah, uh, you're so eloquent. I didn't want to interrupt you. Just you were, you were telling the story perfectly. I'm, I'm kind of interested in, your, in the school uh, because... It seems to me that this way of working with children is a universal way of working with children. It isn't just for children or adults on the spectrum. It isn't just for persons with neurodevelopmental disorders. It, this is really child development. This is how kids learn and grow and, and are. So can you want to talk a little bit about uh, the school where is principal the right word for you? <laughs> director, I think, is my actual title. Okay. <laughs> yes, um, yes, I am the director of Morningside Preschool and Kindergarten um, in Logan, Utah, and um, and that's right. That's right. On I, I mean, part of why the DIR floor time model was so uh, appealing to me is that I, I I was and and always will be um, you know deeply interested in child development and developmental. Um, appropriate developmental education. So um, for me, uh, I, I have enjoyed very much um, implementing um, wonderful uh, sensory experiences, wonderful uh, hands-on creative activities, tinkering, you know, all kinds of stuff that we do at the school um, that, that maybe I knew about before I knew about DIR floor time, but maybe didn't know the best way to implement those things. And so for me, yes, I use floor time at my school every day, and I teach my teachers um, why. (laughs) You know, why do we want that sparkle in their eye? Why do we want to stay um, in relationship and engaged uh, in an authentic moment, being in the moment um, with those kids, and why that is creating an environment where learning is taking place rapidly, much more rapidly than memorization or flashcards or any of that kind of stuff that people fall into thinking they're going to get results. Sure, they get quick results, but the long-term benefit of um, letting them splash and glue and glitter and paint and figure out how a toaster works by taking it apart, I mean, there's just... (laughs) <laughs> you just can't 
you can't quantify it in data in the same way. Maybe it's art. Maybe it's child development with, you know, <laughs> um, the art of child development. I'm not sure how, how you would describe that. But, um, but what we do at the school is, is DIR floor time, or at least floor time, and it's, it's good for all kids, I think. Yeah, I, it's just child development, and it's, um, it, it, the gleam in the eye is really the key, isn't it? Um, yeah. It, it's funny, you reminded me of, a, of a, something that I heard fairly recently is that the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which hires a lot of engineers and really high-powered right. folks, has now only begun uh, screening very heavily to find people who have worked with their hands, whether they mm -hmm. took apart toasters as a kid or whether they were gearheads and we're working on cars. If people can't work with their hands, they have a great deal of difficulty apparently um, thinking novelly and trying to solve problems. And so I just, you just sparked that memory in me, so I wanted to get to that. Mm -hmm. You know, we're coming uh, toward the end of this show, remarkably. You guys are so interesting that I, I've basically had to do nothing, which I find quite lovely. Um, I'm interested in how it is Maybe this is an appropriate question for Jackie, but I think also, Chris, you better weigh in on it. Uh, what's it like to have a household with um, three people identified on the spectrum? Um, I guess I'm asking Jackie first, or maybe the two of you, how do you work this relationship thing out, and how do you continue to move forward and uh, take into account everybody's individual differences and all of the relationship-based pieces of it? That's so it's complicated. One. Yeah, it's complicated. And it's and it's um something that we work on every day. We're all all four of us extremely passionate people. Um and um those folks are on the spectrum but I'm kinda I'm kinda close behind. I, I'm sure I'm not diagnosable, but <laughs> I have a lot of a social anxiety and uh recently did a television interview in which I could not stare at the camera. I, my eye contact was just the worst I've ever seen. So um, all that to say, we're not all that different from each other. Um, and um, I guess what what I would say is the most important or the, the, the piece of knowledge that maybe made the biggest difference for us was when we started to understand <clears throat> the language of Asperger's, I'll call it Asperger's because I think pretty much the family's in that category. Um, we, we suddenly had a framework in, in which to hang our experiences so we understood ourselves so much better. So the conflicts that we had, um, we could put in, in the framework of, well, I'm having sensory issues right now, which is why I'm shutting down, or I'm freaking out, and only one person can freak out at a time, so it's my turn. You can freak out next when I'm done freaking out. <laughs> so we just we, we have learned some things about that. But I, I would not say that our life maybe is peaceful. I would say that um, it's meaningful and it's passionate, and, um, and, and we're always working for balance. So that's my two cents. Chris, what do you have to say about that? Well, I mean, you you summed it all up, and I think the the kind of intensity and passion that we live with um, can be really overwhelming to somebody who's on the outside. It can be overwhelming for us on the inside, but it also has a tremendous amount of grace. 
you know, that we could be going, Maddie and I, or Kayla and I could be going at it, you know, head to head, toe to toe. <clears throat> and then suddenly one of us cracks a joke at the other one about how ridiculous this, this argument is. And we have developed our own language to the point where we just kind of laugh and go, yeah, you're right. That's kind of dumb. <laughs> you know, and, and my kids are five and are six and seven, and we're already starting to articulate that, that kind of dynamism. It, it, is, it is a new like age. A, <laughs> it sounds to me like it's a really cool house to be growing up in, and you're, you know, I've met your kids, and your kids are really lucky. It's really, it's really a wonderful thing. As, as, I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to invest in therapy bills, though. <laughs> well, well, uh, whether whether you get therapy or not, you're going to have these intense, talented, um, neurodiverse kids who are going to bring such cool new ways of seeing to to all of us. So uh, when I'm when I'm long in a wheelchair and in the home, uh, they're going to be running the world, and I I'm really glad that that they're that they're out there doing that. Um, Chris, we got a couple more minutes. I, I would be really not um, doing you uh, a fair deal if I don't get you to talk a little bit about your about your facing autism project or any other of your uh, beautiful photographic projects. Yeah, you know, everything that I do is is about trying to help everyone as much as possible in in ways that I can. Um, you know, I come from a from a background of working in advertising and being very skilled at this and knowing that what I can do can either make corporations millions of dollars or I can help people who are suffering and help change the way the world looks at a particular situation. So instead of letting populations be invisible, I want to make them extremely visible, extremely passionate, extremely relational so that a viewer can't escape the reality and the intimacy that's involved, the humanity that's involved. Um, so for me with Facing Autism, the goal of hundreds if not thousands of portraits is crucial to someone walking in and, and being overwhelmed by all of these images, you know, looking at them at one time. And, and partly there's an irony for me that, you know, many of the people who I, who I photograph who are looking at me while I'm photographing who, conversely, the viewers, will in all reality, in real life, never look them in the eye. But they get to be stared at by these wonderful people. Oh, that's very cool. That's very, very cool. Um, you said at one point when I was talking to you that you really wanted to do for this group of folks uh, the same thing that Walker Evans did um, in his Dust Bowl photos. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the migrant mother from Dorothea Lange is is the is one of the iconic images from you know the Great Depression. I I am not good enough to make one image that, that does that. But if I can make a collection of thousands of portraits that even come close to that, then I have met my ultimate goal. Well, I uh, as someone who is only an amateur artist and uh, certainly doesn't have your gift. I can tell you they're powerful, and every time I encounter them, and it doesn't matter who the photograph is, um, it's really it's a powerful thing. So we're going to have to see if we can get a get an exhibition here on the East Coast so people can can take a look at these full size portraits, and and we'll work on that. 
Um, well, yeah, it'll be fun. We'll have some fun. Well, this has been wonderful, and what a joy to have you guys volunteer to be part of this uh, glitchy first time uh, respecting <laughs> autism show, but I really appreciate it, and uh, and um, I'd love to have you back and talk some more and uh, look forward to any other collaborative things that we can do. So well, cool. It's Thanks our, so it's much. Our honor. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, thank you, everybody. Um, we're going to sign off here. This has been Respecting Autism. It's Dr. Gil Tippy and uh, my guests, Chris and Jackie Gauthier. Um, and I look forward to welcoming you all again and, and hope to see you again in the next show. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.